Welcome to Bull by the Horns with Giles Vickers-Jones. Hello, I'm Giles Vickers-Jones and welcome to Bull by the Horns, sponsored by Shy Aviation. This week, I caught up with a man who founded and ran the UK's most successful bed retail business, Dreams, Mr. Mike Clare. This man, I've known a while, he's an absolutely charismatic dynamo. He's an unbelievable guest, a great human being, a good fam, a great family man. And uh, for those that don't know, he created and grew and sold Dreams Beds, amongst other things. Please give it up for Mr. Mike Clare. So, Mike, thanks so much. It's um, going to be an informal chat. We're just going to have a chat, yeah. see what's going on. Um, okay. So let's start with who you are. You're Mike Clare. Right. You're friends with the most powerful people in the country. Well, I'm just wondering what you're going to ask me. Do you want to know my inside leg measurement? Or well, I wouldn't I'm... mind, actually, because yeah, yeah. I get some new trousers. <laughs> um, so the thing for me, I've, we met each other probably nine years ago now, I reckon. Was nine, it? ten okay, years yeah. ago. I can't remember um, when we first met. but Yeah, about nine or ten years ago. Different circumstances yeah, to yeah, us yeah. being friends now. But one of the things that's always stuck out for me is just how, you know, without sounding too toady, is how charismatic you are. And it's one of the things I found from the people who are clients at Shy Aviation to friends who have got their own businesses. There's this one thing that is, there's a thread throughout, and that's always charisma. And I don't know if that's something you teach yourself or you're something you're born with. Okay, well, I, I, you've only seen me when uh, I'm happy, socialising, yep. practically, I don't think you've ever seen me without a drink in my hand. All I've got at the moment is tea, and I haven't had a drink today. Yep. But I think sometimes you do uh, put a bit of a front on, like a mask, and you say, right, I'm in social mode, mm -hmm. and, and you say charismatic or whatever. And I remember at work, sometimes I'd be really had a bad day, feeling shit, don't really want to go to work. I've got a whole like board meeting to do. You've got a load of people to motivate and inspire and be happy. And it's no good just walking in with a long face and being miserable and sitting being quiet. So I near enough, I remember in my car sometimes putting on my charisma and going in the right, I'm going to, and I walk in with a fast walk. I always think you can judge people by how fast they walk. So when I, people come for an interview, <laughs> if they walk slowly across the room, yeah. I near enough, I know what I'm doing. I like people that walk fast. It does mean they walk, I think purposefully is the right way okay. of walking. So I go in, I walk in purposefully, I smile and I go like that. And in the end, I become like that. So in the end, I'm not like putting it on after now. Yep. I'm like, I'm in my happy mode. Yep. But I force myself to be in my happy uh -huh. mode. I mean, on a Sunday night, if I've got a headache and things aren't going well, I can be a bit of a shit and a moaner. Yeah. But, you know, you only know me as well. But I'd actually argue, because I always have the same chat with my wife. She says, sometimes she you put things on for strangers. You love a stranger, Giles. Yeah. And it's not that I love a stranger. The fact is, if you can put on your best face for those who don't know you, yeah. do your best for the ones you know well and love, <laughs> but it does force you to, I don't know if the right word is up your game, or you just, you can face adversity slightly differently, right? So, because this is one of the big things about this this um, particular show we're doing, Bull by the Horns, is risk, right? There's, there's failures, yeah. but there's success that comes with risk. Yeah. So when, okay, let's go back to um, your biz, biggest success, which mm -hmm. is Dreams Beds. Yeah. Um, when you started that off, it can't have been plain sailing, right? You can't have had to walk mm. into every room going, right, here yeah. comes our purposeful walk. Mm. There must have been challenges, right? So yeah, why did you start Dreams Beds and how was the initial journey for you? Well, just there's two things there. One, yeah. one is the risk thing. So I think with any business I look at now and things like that, all my advisors, and, and I always think like, 
bankers or uh, finance people, um, or if you've got some sort of letter after your name to do with finance, um, or teachers are so risk adverse mm-hmm. because they're, they're, a teacher is just about the, and they teach our children and people come through uh, their education being taught by people that are risk adverse. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs, okay, they are, you know, you have to take a bit more of a risk. But my, even my finance guy at the moment, if I look at a, a business opportunity, he will say, oh, there's this and there's this. And it's ne- I'm never going to make a lot of money. It was going to be really good if there wasn't a bit of risk involved or else everyone would be doing it. Right. So if it was... If it was foolproof, yeah. then, you know, everyone would be doing it. How, how can I find this deal if it's just, he's got to have some risk in it. But you've yeah. got to sort of understand what that risk is and look at the worst side. And if it goes pear-shaped, what am I going to do? And near enough sort of work, work at that type of thing. And yeah, the dream stuff, they were like, all the time. But Things I can't imagine you started off going, this is going to be risky. You started off going, this is not a risk. It's going to work, right? You don't That's, start off thinking yeah. it's going to be a risk, do you? Well, I think you have to, th- have to think optimistically that um, you know you don't know what your challenges are. So at Dreams, we would have huge amounts of things, whether it's you know the warehouse roof leaking or gypsies parking in our car park or the the the, the um, HR director having an affair with a receptionist, or you know just any sort of things that you could not believe that would go wrong. Our competitors super glued our locks up on Christmas Day. Then why did they do Christmas Day? Because our busiest day of the year is Boxing Day to start the sales. So that was when we had like not quite a queue, but really our busy time. We would break all our records every. So Boxing Day, we come in and you get a call from your managers or the area manager to the sales director, who then eventually rings me and says, "Someone's they can't open the shop in Tottenham Court Road because it's the 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 locks jammed." I said, "Well, I can't sort it out." Yeah, but Mike, it's not just Tottenham Road. It's the same in Slough and the same as this. No way. And uh, well, competitors, well, on, yeah, they've done it on Christmas Day. Super glued our locks, so we're going, and then you try and get a locksmith out. On Boxing Day, which you can't. And then, of course, this is your busiest day. So how, but that's so what a sort of problem. Do? What well, did you do? On well, when they were drilled the locks up, and then we couldn't actually lock the, lock the stores that night, but we just drilled them out to get the customers in. Okay. And you, you overcome that. But the point of me telling the story is, it's the most unusual problems that you come across that you cannot predict or uh, uh, allow for. How can you sort of think, well, what happens if, what happens if a competitor super glues my locks up? But you just have to come across these problems and deal with them and just resolve the problem and every company i believe has problems they're just different so my competitors might not have had their locks super glued because sure. i wouldn't have done that to them <laughs> but they would have had some other problem yeah that they and so all businesses have problems and i think half the success of a business is just how you deal with them how quickly how positively you just got to deal with them and make a decision not you know, like mope about it and moan and you know, a huge amount of blame. It's a problem. What can I do? What are the options? I used to have a sign on my door at Dreams because people always come and ask, well, go and see Mike. And, Mike. and I used to like it. Then I had this sign and it said, so my door would be closed and it said, what is the problem? That's one. Two, what are the potential uh, answers to the problem or solutions? And three, what do you think is the best of those solutions? And four, go away and do it. Okay. And it's just like, just think about, you well, know, I think it's we not, just it's not the chat right yeah. there, right? <laughs> so that, that kind of tenacity and problem solving, you don't get, I mean, were you like that, say, as a 15-year-old boy? Because going back to one thing you said just now about education, right? So yeah. I'm caught up in the education system with my kids. Yeah. You spend a lot of money on it. You kind of, you're following a kind of trodden path. But actually, dare I say it, I want them to be more of a risk taker. Yeah. I want them to go out and fail mm-hmm. and succeed yeah, after yeah. the failure, right? 
Do you get that from standard education? Because you must have standard education as well, right? Uh, yeah, you... I'd say standard. No, I went to a prep school. Yeah, and so my you had father a good died education. when I was 12. Okay. And then I failed my 11 plus, so I... Uh, I went to a, a comprehensive and things like that. But I actually think being in both systems, the state and private, w- was good because you do see a bit of both sides okay. of life and you understand things. But everyone always likes their past, don't they? I, I think most people say, oh, I, I, I'm glad I've had that experience, whether sure. it was good or bad. But my father There's not much you look back on and go, I wish I hadn't done that because it no. always gets you to a certain Some people point. don't like their, child, their, their, their school. Okay. Some sure. people have looked back and said, just, I was bullied at school and things like that. Yeah. And that's another thing I think about schools and things. I think every one of us, no one likes to say this, but this is a Mike Clare entrepreneur view, is that everyone has bullied. I know we don't like to say it because we like deny it, but I think in some way, either verbally or just mean or, or being spiteful uh, at school mostly, and we've all been bullied. Mm. So I remember I was bullied and I think I did bully other people. But I think that's quite normal. And I actually think nowadays... It's a big no-no. What happens in schools? You can't do drugs. You can't do alcohol. You mustn't bully. Never bully. No, this school doesn't do bullying. We don't stand for bullying. But in the end of the day, it's like don't climb a tree or don't play conkers. In the end, it is a part of life. If you don't get, get used to bullying at school, not in an extreme way. Extreme is wrong. But if you have a bit of bullying, you know how to handle yourself when you're in the big world. You're probably talking about like ribbing, right? Gently teasing someone, doing something daft. If you have malicious, spiteful vindictive behaviour towards one person. Probably Were not you so good. At school? Uh, yeah. It was consistent though. We all got the shit kicked out of us. Yeah, but, but that's part of what... But I went from a prep school to a boys' military school, mm. 13, and I was cruising. Went to mm. school. They all started at 11. I was now mm. 13. Boys' military school. It was literally like a daily beating for one year. Mm. Just punching the arm, punching mm. the leg for one year. Mm. Sometimes it got out of control, truthfully. It was mm. a bit nasty. But then I became the head of the house and yeah, I was yeah. able to... But I'm with you. Sometimes... But then did you punch them in the arm and leg? Well, I don't... So what I would... <laughs> I, I'll be honest, this is what I do, right? Uh, so let's uh, say... Listeners, no. he's nodding. <laughs> so what I would do... So I'll be honest with you. So I'd have like a, a 15-year-old boy. I'm only 18, yeah. right? And he's... Get off the grass. Get off the grass. You give him a dead leg, right? Yeah, yeah. But dead leg... I didn't give him eight dead legs. It was yeah. one. Because it's better than him having half-hour detention. I agree. And it was almost a clip around the ears. So... But I'd stop the... Getting someone to just, you know, when you're dumping someone down a loo with a fresh turd, right? I have had that done to me. It is grim. Mm. And for me, that's probably a step too far. But you're right. I think toughening kids up. So my son, here's an example. The other day, we had football. He was really poorly. He wasn't really letting on. Mm. Not COVID related. He was poorly. I went, you're right, Beef. I call him Beef. You're right, Beef. Uh, No, no, Daddy. (laughs) But he got all the way to football because yeah. he wanted to just... Because I've got his mindset to the point where he can get through it. And he would have got through it, but actually it probably wasn't right. It was raining and he was actually sick in the end. But the point is, he's he's a bit tougher because maybe I've been a bit more resilient with him. Yeah, so, but um, I, I think you've got to go through life experiences. You've got to have happiness. You've got to have sadness. You've got to be bullied, be bullied. You've got to do all of these things so you understand about life. And sometimes I think you're cosseted in, in oh, this isn't a good... Uh, Apart from extremes, this isn't a good experience. And then they don't understand it. You know, it's... Anyway, why are we talking about education? We're no, I, really... I, just, I was curious, because actually... There was... So did you go to university? Uh, yes, did University you... of Life. You... See? <laughs> right, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Would you, do you regret not having more of a formal education for longer? No, well, in the end, you... No, I wouldn't... Uh, I mean, all of my... most of my friends went to university. My brother went to Cambridge. Um, 
And all these people say, oh, Mike, university, best years of my life. 18 to 20, I went to university, I, they were the, my best years. And I go, yeah, funny enough, 18 to 21 were my best years. I could vote, drive, drink, do all this. I was single, shagging around. They were like incredible years of my life. It's not that you're at university. People mix being at university with, with 18 to 21. 18 to 21 is what it's all about. They're incredible years. And, uh, you know, I had a job and, uh, and I had a company car by the time I was 19. And I had a great time. So you've always been hugely driven, right? Hugely driven. Yeah. So do you ever look back? So this is really, really quite relevant now. Do you look at the papers and the people coming through? And you must be employing young people as well. Yeah. Do you think there's a clear evidence of that snowflakeness? Or do you think it's just a sign of the times? It's not really... It's always been like that. No, I, you can see, see it in people. You can see people that are driven and not. And, you know, we've, we've just got some... We needed some cheap labour around here just to move logs and, and do stuff that they're doing in the grounds here. And we've just got people on £10 an hour. Mm-hmm. And you can see... And there's this one guy putting some hedging in on the front there. And there's one guy, you could just see he was... Moving, not just walking slowly, but, <laughs> no was, but just doing anything. And he's moaning, long face, didn't look you in the eye, didn't talk. Another guy, I've never known them, they just got them from some agency. They got then there's another guy finishing the hedging. I said, We've got to do it because we've got to, I don't want to leave the hedging out on the uh, on the front, so I've got to get it in tonight. He said, Don't worry, we'll stay until we get it done. That's fine. Yeah. And he's like, He's been paying 10 pounds an hour, so I'd pay him more. But he was just like very positive. But that about person, you probably want to a, help out further, yeah, yeah, of course. So that I mean, so. So if you're speaking to a young person, that's a good segue. You've got a young person coming through, right? They're, yep. they're 19, 20. Yep. Gone to uni, didn't go to uni, get their first job. Mm. What are you looking for? What kind of characteristics? We've got the, we've got the fast walk. Yeah, yeah. We've got the looking in the eye. Yeah, yeah. Do they need charisma? Do they need to have that, you know, I think you've got to have a drive. Like you said, you're driven and you're, you're ambitious and things. So, so it's all very bad to say, we want to make lots of money. And, and, but in the end, that is the thing that normally drives people. Originally, they want a nicer car or, sure. or they want something. So, so that's fine. But I think sometimes they just don't want money. They want to be successful, seen to be successful, famous or, or, or in the, whatever success means. Sometimes I think it's because... A teacher or a, or a parent even has told them you're a bit of a loser. You're not going to sure. make it, and they react. Something clicks inside them, and they think, "Right, I'm going to prove myself to whoever." And sometimes you think, "Why do people go on in business making money? Why does Richard Branson or Lord Sugar or all, all the talk TV entrepreneurial famous ones? Why do they continue doing?" Because I just think they still have got that thing from their childhood that they want to prove themselves, and are they just. They like the adulation and the success to a certain degree. And, you know, there are people that are like that. There are other people that aren't. But we can't all be the same. So no. I think, you know, I don't know how many percentage of entrepreneurial type people there are, but I don't think it's a lot different. I think there's young people that are really determined nowadays. So if you were to look back at some things you've done, have you got a turning point where you think you cracked it? Is there anything you did? I don't know. I mean, now there's lots of self-help books and various podcasts you can listen to improve yourself. But is there something, I mean, I like the fact that you stop before you go into a room and you focus, mm. you get yourself, in the, I love that, I do the same actually. Mm-hmm. But is there something you can kind of look back at a moment, a six month period, a year period where you went, things changed? Well, what yeah, it was. I, I would say, so what I meant to say, because it's a podcast, oh, I, my proudest moment is when my four children were born, or when I got yeah, married. Yeah, that, that's or, when, proud the, or, kids are lovely. But, yeah, but or it should be all those sort of things that everyone's meant to say. In reality, it should have been when I sold dreams. And actually, you know, and that was an incredible moment and when, I, that, when that happened or some other deal. But actually, secretly, mm. the thing that I was most excited about 
and I still remember it now. It's when I first won, and we won it three times, Furniture Retailer of the Year. So not furniture just bed retailer. retailer of the Year. Furniture Retailer of the Year. You had the big yeah. awards at the NEC, okay. and you had Jack D doing the commentary. Very cool. And um, in the end, I'm up against Furniture Village. It was... Um, uh, Courts. Would you uh, be considered the underdog now. at this point? Yeah, very much the underdog. And it was like, and Furniture Village were very confident they were going to win it. And there's loads of people enter it, and then it's multiple furniture, so you have to have a, a, a number of shops. And Dreams beat Furniture Village. Yes. And, and, and I tell you what, I was so excited. Sorry. I had this trophy thing they give you, and I took it to bed. I was so excited. I love it. And, and in the morning, I'm wandering around, and everyone's going, oh, congratulations, my, this is at the NEC exhibition. And it was just, I felt, and the, the, the people that judge that are all your peers. So all the other furniture retailers vote who they think the best furniture retailer is. And I think, my, 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 my competitors have voted me the best uh, furniture retailer. And I know it's just like stupid, no one's heard of furniture retailer of the year, but to me it was a massive thing. Yeah, how long had that been before we, when you started to that point? How many years had that been? Oh, that had been about 12 years. What, one regret I had, obviously my father died when I was 12, my mother died. Um, she worked for me for a bit in the early days of dreams oh, um, and um, and my brother and neither of them really saw my my big success they saw a bit of success mm-hmm. um, but yeah you grow the, the the company grew uh, in turnover and profit every year for 21 years it never lost um, never lost anything in a year but never dropped um, uh, and made less profit than the previous year we always grow the business Obviously, you're growing it, right? You've got yeah. the trajectory, like you said, it's going up and up and up. Were you always looking for an exit? Was that the plan? Yeah, well, my... Or was that the wrong way to do business? My ex-wife would have yeah. wanted me to sell when we had 20 stores and then 50 stores and then 100 stores and then we got 200-odd stores and it's surely it's time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, eventually you think, well, okay. But, um, yeah, we, we it's difficult to know when to sell out. Uh, timing is everything. I sold out in March 20, 2008, which was just before the financial crash, yeah. weeks just before. So that that, that was incredibly clever. I was going to yeah. say lucky there, but clever. You planned uh, that, obviously. You knew what was coming. Well, no, Did you know what was yeah. coming? Did no, you sense? No, but well, you, are, you, are you read enough? Or, you know, do you read enough news to understand other markets? Or you just I do read on? more on the news now and about... Uh, I, I, I do a lot of investments and I, you know, I have to understand about the markets and things like that. I didn't really understand before. All I had was dreams. I knew how to buy beds and sell them for more than I bought them for. It's a pretty simple business. And people would then say, what is it that's, um, what's the secret to success? You know, and you should be asking me that. And, and well, really, like you just you know, okay. you ask yourself, what but, is? Well, I always think you've got to have a little bit of skill. Yep. But I'm saying a little bit of skill because I don't think you need to be Einstein or hugely clever. You just need a bit of skill. You've just not got to be a nerdy idiot. So you could be fairly average on, on the ac- academic sort of uh, intelligence. Um, and you need a little bit of luck, but you don't need a lot of luck either. But you just got to make sure you're not really badly unlucky because people do have bad luck. And like when I sold, when I did, that was a bit of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just shed loads of hard work. And people say, oh, that's a bit boring. What do you mean work hard? Yeah, yeah. That, okay. that's, and honestly, working hard is what most successful businesses are so all about. So a bit of skill, yeah. a bit of luck, hard work. Um, What's the percentage of skill, percentage of luck? 10%, 10%, 80%. 80%. 80% hard work. It's just honestly, if you're going to... So I always think, if I was going to start a business, and there's people listening to this, you've, you find something that you... It's not that everyone else is doing, but do, do something a bit different. So if you're going to run a pub or write a book or you're going to want to be a gardener or something, I'm looking out the window now. The yeah. But, but whatever you're going to do, you've just got to do it a little bit different to the competitions out there. Specialise 
and really become a bit anally nerdy uh, about it. Really, really uh, such an expert in whatever you're doing. So I just knew about bed. So you could ask me how many springs are in a five foot bed. I could, uh, I would get all, I would understand about it. And then I'd understand about shops and leases. I'd understand about staff and motivation. I'd understand, you know, about marketing. So, you know, you learn as you go through all the different elements you need. Okay, let's take a break. When we yeah. come back, I'd like to ask you about, you said specialising. But now you make investments. What's the difference? Let's take a break. Uh, you've been listening to Ball by the Horns. Be back in a minute. Shy Aviation and Lifestyle is the global leader in private aviation. Offering an unparalleled round the clock service, Shy Aviation focuses on every detail of your flight and are dedicated in making private jet travel as effortless as possible. With no hidden fees or membership costs, our pricing is straightforward and transparent. You only pay for what you use and when you use it. With global airport access, your travel destinations are endless. Plus, with our front door to jet door service, you'll experience true contactless travel, meaning you'll be at your safest with us. We'll even include a complimentary luxury lifestyle concierge for all clients. We're here to help you unlock the world safely, discreetly and privately and to always give you the ultimate luxury experience. Request a quote and start your journey with us today at shyaviation.com. Welcome to Bull by the Horns with Giles Vickers-Jones. Okay, so going back to what I just said, so I think from my limited experience, when I was starting out trying to do different businesses, I was doing a bit of this, bit of that, and I go into a conversation with someone like yourself, either I want their business or I want some money, and I talk about loads of things. And actually, in hindsight, it's pretty cringe. When I say pretty cringe, I mean, you, you do come across as a bit amateur. So I got a lesson. Who told me it? Maybe it was... Maybe Steve Hayes mentioned it a couple of years ago. Steve Hayes, your friend, who obviously used to own loans.co.uk. And I was talking to him about it. He said, just specialise. Just be an expert at one thing. And actually, we stopped what we're doing, little things, and just became jet guys. So you were just saying you knew all about beds, springs, emperor, queen, all the different dimensions. And now you do investments. So for me, that's almost a uh, 180, isn't it? Because you're now doing something you... You don't know, I'm not, really. I'm not as happy doing investments. I was going to ask about I, I have to. No, I'm not. I, I'm much happier running dreams and building a business up. You know, I've done all these castles and fancy buildings and amazing venues and the forts and the solar. You know, and they haven't been hugely successful. But, you know, they've been okay and they've broken even. And it's been quite fun doing them up. But nothing like as much fun as doing dreams. And I sort of anchor to go back and, and do something that's relatively simple and... And, and specialist, as you say. But is that hard, though? I mean, we look, we're setting your lovely home right now. And, you know, this is a relatively small home to yeah. what you had. And it's still a monstrous, beautiful yeah, yeah. vista, lovely home. Is it hard to get back in the trenches again? Be honest. Like, you know, write your own yeah. Excel spreadsheets for the PNL. Yeah, yeah. You know one wants to do that. Actually, balancing money when you've got this luxury. Is it hard to go back when you made your money? So what I'm saying is, can you make your money repeatedly through life? Well, lots of people did. I should. I I nearly bought Dreams back five years after I sold it, which I should have done. Could have bought it back for ten percent of what I sold it for, uh, and I never did. And Why? that's one of my so, big regrets. Well, because my then wife 
didn't really think it was a good idea and wanted me. I'd started doing these hotels and castles and stuff. And she said, well, what are you going to do? You're doing that. And now you're going to be back in the, in, the, in the main seat at Dreams. How can you do the two? And it was a good point. But actually, in hindsight, if I had gone back and done the Dreams thing and just sold off the bloody castles, they would have been much more successful. What would, what, so you would have... So you sold 10% of what it's public paid. knowledge. I can say how much you sold Dream yeah, for. Yeah. Two, two, two. Yeah, you want to twenty-two house, million yeah. pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's tattooed on my ass. Yeah, I know it's on your ass. <laughs> Do you know? I've actually, I've actually, Mike and I went down to we're in Ibiza together. This is well, there's about twelve of us, wasn't there? Down, last two years yeah. ago, and we're on a boat, and he accidentally let me see his bottom, um, and it's got two, two, two tattooed. It's brilliant. Um, so you could have bought it back for twenty-two million pounds. It was oh, I say ten percent. It was a rough number. It was thirty-one million. I could have bought thirty-one million. And what's it been valued at? Today. Now, well, it ups and downs, but it was it, it went through a pre-pack, so um, yep. uh, uh, and I could have bought it back basically from the liquidators uh-huh. uh, for thirty-one million, and now I should think it's valued at about four hundred million. Right, but that was in how many years from that pre-pack opportunity? Uh, to now is about eight, eight years. Yeah, that so would that's be, like that would have twelve been years like... since I sold it. So five years after I sold it, um, I could have bought it back, and it's now worth back up to more than what I, I sold it for. So. Going back to what you said, is that your biggest regret? Yeah, I would say that's my one. So if you had to say one thing, yeah, that's my biggest regret. And what about things that you've invested in that haven't worked? Have you got anything which, because, you know, we all have something that sits in our mind. Oh, mm. and you, you think about it, and you almost like turn your stomach mm. a little bit. and you, you maybe, Is it anger? I don't know. Do you have that? Can you think of I, I invested in Sunseeker Yachts uh, a year after I sold Dreams, and I... You know, and, and I suddenly was, you know, uh, much more wealthy than I'd been before. And the, the people that tried to buy Dreams but didn't, uh, they're an Irish company, and they, uh, they pushed the price up. So actually, I might have only sold it for about 180 million. Right. But these people, because I had competitive attention and they were outbidding each other, yep. they never actually bought it because Exponent bought it. But these other people pushed Exponent's price up and then they didn't buy it. So I shook hands with them and said, oh, I'm sorry, and I sold it to Exponent sort of remained friends. They came up after me about a year later and said, Mike, we didn't buy Dreams, but we're going to buy Sunseeker and we need some sort of investors in there and we'd love you to be a part of that because we just like you. Yep. Uh, amazing. Uh, and um, so I invested in... I did it as a favour because I felt like I owed them. What did you I need thought, to invest for? Was it not established business at this point? No, this was... Uh, they, they, they were buying it from the original okay. founders of Braithwaite. Okay. And I, they said, well, I said, well, what do you need? They said, well, just, we need some money to help with the, the thing. And they said, put in a million or two or something okay. like that. And in the end, I didn't really do any due diligence. I saw that other people had done due diligence. Mm. I, I ran off the coattails of the other people's due diligence. I gave them two million without a lot, more as a favour, because I sort of felt I owed them. Because you made the That was my best million. investment I've ever made. I, in two years, I think I got 11 million back. I gave Whoa. them two million, I got 11 million back. And nowadays, I look at investments and I think, oh, I'm going to get a 6% return, an 8% return. How's that going to work? And, you know, nothing as good as that. But that was, that was a lucky investment. And I really was doing it as a bit of a favour. Yeah, yeah. And now I wish I'd put in more than two million. What's, what would that be worth now, that two million? You got out, got out 11. So what would it be yeah. now, do you think? I don't know what that is now. I don't know whether... I don't follow it because I just, I just... I got out within two or three years. Everyone else did as well. So one of the things... When I speak to people like yourself who sold their companies, you suddenly think you could do everything, right? You got the Midas touch. Yeah, do you yeah. feel like that a bit yeah, when you yeah, sold yeah, I did. Dreams? I did. So you got the Midas touch now. with Sunseeker, right? Yeah, yeah. Are there things you've done thinking you could take the same skill set that haven't worked? And why 
don't they work? Yeah, okay. So, so someone listening to this, because I've not talked about any of my failures. So what they would say is, oh, he, he started dreams, really successful, clever mm-hmm. guy, and then he did Sunsaker. Oh, he's really successful. Mm-hmm. He's got a nice house. And th- that's all people know, because that's all I like to talk about. Sure. But actually, but that's going dreams, back to your positivity. No, but in my 20s, so I started dreams when I was 30. In my 20s, I started all sorts of weird little businesses. Didn't really, sort of, from my bedroom, really, sort of, I'd always do the logo first, think about a bit of things, how it was going to work, did a bit of a business plan, didn't really want to leave my job to start it because I wasn't really too sure about it. But I sort of, and then I'd lose a few grand, start thinking about this business. And I never really committed. It was only really when I left my job to start Dreams that I really committed. So one of those other businesses, if I if I properly properly committed, they might have been successful, but they weren't. So I actually did have. They weren't really proper businesses with accounts and things like that. But they were things that I started to, tried to start a business that, that didn't really work. And subsequently, since Dreams, there's been various things where I've had some shit returns and lost some money. But I just don't like to talk about them. So people look at you and think, oh, my Clary did Dreams. He's a really clever, successful guy. But I think most people only, it's like horses or gambling. You only talk about your good days, don't you? Don't talk about your bad stuff. Why be negative? No yeah. one likes it. No one likes a moaner. Yeah. So of the, say, 100 things you've done, how many of those have been successful? Um, because there must be a hundred things you've done, right? Yeah. If not more. Well, it depends how you class as success. You well, talk it financially. Yeah. But I says, uh, so I've got a project now that I'm doing in the house. We just bought five acres next to us. That's a success. I'm really pleased how that's working. But it's not really a business. But you know, it's, it all depends. You know, I think bringing my four kids up and making having four happy, uh, cool kids, I think it's a success. But it's not all just finance. No, of course I've done not. some good investments. Uh, and, I, and I've had some bad ones. I was think. it going back to your children? Is it hard? Was it hard when you're growing the business? Did you ever have any moments where? Because this is the one thing I've had to learn: is cash flow is king, which is yeah. such a cliche. And what that means is having the money in the bank to weather a storm, right? Yeah. Whether that's you have got bad credit yeah. from someone or whatever. Along the way, were there any moments where you thought you might have lost the business? Yeah, no, there were plenty of times when you know it would we get hit some really rocky patches in the. Uh, I don't know, the, the end of the 90s or something, I can't remember, you know, and I remember the bank going to see Lloyd's Bank I was with then, and they would bring in a um, a person to sit when I was having my meeting with the bank manager. He'd bring in, like, a junior, just to, more as a witness as to what I was saying. I didn't realise at the time. And they were, like, just because he needed someone to, you know, and it got very close. Really? And, you know, I had to blag and do draft accounts that were slightly exaggerated. And, and he says, oh, well, you know, I need to see the actual accounts. Well, oh, the actual accounts have just not been audited yet. Blokes on holiday. But here's some draft ones, you know. Getting uh, through. Get, getting on Extend there. the overdraft. And then, and then by then, and you work so bloody hard, you try and make sure that, that month's figures are better. And then eventually you sort of get all, get through it. But, you know, you yeah, you always have bad times. And some people just give up. Yeah. I think sometimes, unless you've got everything on the line. So I committed everything to to dreams and if it hadn't worked with that Lloyd's Bank or whatever um, my house was security on the line so I would have been out of my house my kids would have had to leave private school um, I would have uh, God knows I wouldn't have had any money I would have been made bankrupt I would have um, um, had to get a council house or something and you sort of think well Wow, that Did you is... ever sit there and take that in? Do you ever no, take no, stock no, of that? No, I would take that. And I would tell my wife, this is... A, and why are you going to work? Why are you working seven days a week during like... You know, uh, because I don't want this to happen and things aren't good at the moment. And sometimes because you are so focused to make sure that doesn't happen, it doesn't because you put the nth bit of energy in. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's your life's on the line sort of thing. Oh, your business is on the line. 
Um, and sometimes if someone just says, oh, I'm going to start a business, I've got savings of 50 grand, um, I think I'll put 30 grand into starting that business and see how it works. If it doesn't work, I've got 20 grand saved. And then suddenly they put the 30 grand in, it doesn't work, and then they have come across a bit of a rocky period and a couple of hurdles, and they go, oh, no, I lost my business, it didn't work. It's because they had a little safety net of 20 grand. And I'm not saying to people put your all in. But funny enough, if you do put your all into something, it does make you get that extra energy. And, and be so successful. I heard this great, I don't know if it's a proverb, but it was, it was um, I don't know, it's probably some sort of self-help guru, but they said the only reason a business fails is because the owner gives up, yeah, right? It it's probably true. It's, mm. your, it's a tenacity. Mm. So looking around at the world today, um, let's go on your, your, your previous success of dreams. Um, and then Sunsea goes where it's a luxury end of the market. With retail now could you achieve what you did retail's changed change right so i'm saying so no, what is the future of this retail i have got a new now? business i'm not going to say because i don't want sure. everyone to copy my idea but i have got that's not too dissimilar to doing yeah. uh, not too dissimilar to those uh, that my, my old dreams days which i feel i've got connections and knowledge and people within that industry but it needs to be done in a new world i need to have young people that understand about all the, the, the modern online marketing yep. and, and stuff like that was so it was different to be doing a, a television advert or an advert in the Sunday Times, which which is how we would normally do it on and lots of PR. So uh, yeah, no, it's um, what was the question? Would I is get it a better? Is it, I mean, how has re, how has the world, the landscape of retail changed? I mean, I look around hmm. and it seems to me like having these big superstores with all yeah. these beds within a unit we got to go to. Yeah, I can't see how it can. No. be long term right there's nothing wrong with change but how do you think people should be changing their outlook to retail now yeah well um, it's just thinking what people will always buy beds so how are they going to buy them they're going to buy them online they don't like them they're going to send them back it's a bit difficult to send a bed back it's not like a pair of shoes but there'll always be different ways of doing marketing there'll always be some competition I think it's just just trying to do something a little bit different. I always used to think, go to America and look at what they do in America. It's not quite like that now, but there is an element of just look around and sort of focus and keep pulling it in and in to what you want to do. So it's roughly, if you like golf, you say, right, I'm going to start a business with golf. You say, right, okay. Well, basically, am I going to design golf courses or am I going to design a new uh, a bag that golf clubs go in and then they come out at the sides? Or am I going to design something or am I going to do a training thing or an app to do with golf? But in the end, it could be something because you love golf and, yeah. you're going to want, and you want to do something around that. And then eventually it comes down to a bit more, well, actually, what I'm going to do is, is, is some specific thing um, where people can join golf clubs abroad or something like that. And you've just come up with an idea, haven't you? You know, <laughs> I'm going to start golf. I don't know. It's just I think if you do something that that, that you enjoy is really good. Um, I used to say, well, I like sleeping, so I started there you bed go. with this. And, and you have been known to lay down, so that's. No, but, but the other thing is, it's it's not doing the the the, the really clever stuff. So in the end, bed retailing is a fairly average industry. It's not high tech. It's not where the clever people go. So you don't come out of university and start retailing furniture. Um, you go into sort of designing a new mobile phone or mm -hmm. you go into the city and do some hedge fund. So the people, my competitors, were fairly average. They weren't the high flyers that are really like jack shit hot. Did you, did you, without sounding elitist, did you find yourself... Because I've seen you around people, I've seen yeah, you yeah. with you know, members of parliament, ultra-networks, yeah. entrepreneurs... Yeah. 
you hold your own. It, you don't strike me, like you just said, as a furniture guy. You are a furniture guy. Did you feel different to your competitors? No, I, I felt very confident because my competitors weren't, weren't scary or um, I, I felt I was as good or better than them because it was a fairly average industry. So um, I'm looking at the fireplace now with logs in. I say, if you're going to be your log retailer, because people want to buy logs, and you know, you've, you wanted, you've got to think of a do, new way of marketing them or bagging them or doing something. But also, your competitors aren't going to be rocket scientists and they're not going to be scary, big, uh, high flyers because they're log people, but there's someone else selling logs. Yeah. So, you know, you've just got to, I think, getting into a fairly average industry You've only got to be a little bit above average to be the best. So that's it. It's just inches. Possibly. So what's, what's an average day like for you now? I mean, oh, you're still so a very busy, busy man. But you said to me, I couldn't come till half past four because you're flat out. And I believe you're flat yeah. out. I don't think you're lying to me at all. I've got all my, my insurance up for renewal tomorrow. So mm -hmm. I've got three people around for my insurance brokers around. Plus I've got my finance director coming around with his assistant that I've not seen for like six months because they've been working, of course. Um, and we just got this, we're reassessing. So I've got trusts. So I've got a family trust and a children's trust and things like that. And um, it's very complicated. Trust, there's a whole new tax system with trust and things like that. So we're, we're changing a lot of things. So you're, that's, a, that's a preservation of your wealth as well then? Yeah, it so is. So are you still doing the pursuit or is it really preservation at this point? I think it's a bit of a mixture of both. My kids, would uh, they, they get worried now that, um, you know, if I suddenly drop dead tomorrow, you know, uh, how is my will constructed in, in the most tax-efficient way, you know, and I think, well, they've got enough money anyway. Yeah. And that's another problem for people. You make a lot of money, you know, your people come, like, begging, wanting money, charities and, and, and friends, or and what you do with it, and how do you give it to your children you don't spoil them? If you give them too is much... There, is there an answer? Well, no, if you give them too much, they get into drugs and rock and roll and bad stuff and gambling or something. If you don't give them uh, enough, they wait for you to die. And they Sorry, hate you. How much money do you need to get into drugs and rock and roll and bad stuff? You need like 50 quid, don't you? Yeah. But no, you, you do have to get a happy medium of, of letting them think that, you know, they, 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 I can't have shitloads of money and they have nothing. But then I don't want them to waste it on fast cars and, and, and stuff. I want them to start a business. Or, but equally, or you buy don't houses. want them to have porridge and live in a one-bedroom no, house. No, of course not. That, no, so. and wait till I die. No, so it, that is the thing. But a lot of uh, people in my position that sold their business and made a lot of money, that is always one of their new challenges. One is, uh, I don't want to lose the money I've got. Uh, how do I invest it now if I'm not going to start another business? And then how do I pass that money on? And how do I make sure I don't spoil my family or my children? And how do I... Do I support charities? Do I, you know, that whole charity fellow? Uh, well, this is the thing, right? Not people know this about you. You do a lot for charity. I do. So but all the it's balls quite complicated. You and then you give some to that, and then you say no to something. So I went into Goward's the other day, yeah. and he says, I'm paying for some petrol, which I don't do normally I to... do. And do I want to give some money to charity? No, well, piss off. I give like millions to charity. I don't want to give like. So tell us about your charity. Then. So what? Why have you done it? I mean, would that would you be? Were you a philanthropist then at this point, right? So I've always worked in and done. Uh, my father was in uh, Rotary, Beckerville yep. Rotary. I was always in like um, Rotaract, then Roundtable, then Forty One Club. Sort of nice, sort of do goody type things. Uh, but I quite like it because of the social side more mm -hmm. than I want to do a lot of good. Nothing wrong with that. But then you know, once you you know, want to put something back, you think right. Well, I've got two hundred twenty-two million. Uh, I, I don't want to give it all to my kids. I, I, I've got to invest some, but I'd like to make a difference in the world sure. and do something. So I think, well, I like Buckinghamshire and things, so I'm going to try and make a difference around Buckinghamshire. And I think, right, well, I hadn't luckily been, you know, I hadn't got a family member that had died of this cancer or, you know, I didn't, you know, 
I haven't got a passion about starving people in Africa or about one-legged donkeys or something. No, 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 you know, sure. I just so I didn't know who to give it to. So in the end, I thought, well, I like my local area. What I'm going to do is I'm going to help all charities mm-hmm. to be more commercial and efficient. And I was I got quite passionate about that. I thought, well, I'm quite good at business. I quite know that. So so I'm going to go and and find out why charities aren't because I sometimes think they're a bit wasteful. And I and I don't like to say the wrong thing about some charities. Some are okay. Some they're they're a bit the people that run them then they'd be nice to have as your neighbour and they're not going to nick your pencils from the stationery cupboard, but they, they, they go home at half past four and, and they're all a bit nicey-nicey and if they're feeling not very well today, they don't come in. And, and they can never... They can't negotiate their rent with a landlord and they can't... They can't they're, they're not because maybe they're not entrepreneurs, right? Well, they're, they're not. They're the opposite of entrepreneurs, really. And they're quite often volunteers doing it. Sure. And what ends up is they get money in from grants or rattling tins or charity dinners. So that's their income. And they give it out to their one-legged donkeys or whoever their, their beneficiaries are. <laughs> but that donkeys. middle section, yeah. they've still got an HR department or IT or a computer or a website. They're just not very efficient at running mm. that middle stuff, which is like a business. And we go in and help charities be more efficient. Mm-hmm. So more of the money just goes through to their benefits. And where can people go and can people add to the pot? Is there no, a place? No, that's really, I put quite a lot of money into, into doing that. We, we do sort of raise a bit. It's, it's, it, it's just it's charities that want to... No one likes to say they're not very efficient, so they don't come knocking on the door saying, oh, we're not very efficient, can yeah. you help us? But no, no, and, this donkey's it, not no. getting up, he's only got no. one leg, help <laughs> us, Mike. What can we do with the IT department here? This thing's I not agree. moving. No, it's, uh, it is difficult, and you have to be very tactful if you go to a charity and say, you know, and you look at their, their admin cost versus their income, and you think, well, that's a little bit out of kilter on there. But, but you, you've got to say it in a very nice way, but... Uh, is it, no, is it hard? I, well, you would say, what do I do with my time now, which yeah. I've not answered. Oh, well, yeah. So, 20 years ago, you would said that, I'd say, I run dreams. Yep. I was the chief executive, the chairman, that was it. I spent my whole life doing that. I used to, that's all I read about. Holidays, I'd be working, dreams, 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 open more stores, expand the company, be more successful. That's all I did. Now, I'm just as busy, I think, as I was then, but I've got about 15 or 20 hats. And I'm, I'm involved in Bijou Living, which is... Uh, converting offices into uh, residential micro apartments, and then I'm involved in um, with Matt Story. He's yep. another guy you could do on here. So I'm then him. And my, so I do loans through Stable Ventures, and then um, I do my charity stuff. Then I do my family stuff. Then, I, but I, it's such a a mixture of different things, uh, and it's varied. And I like to think I like the variedness of it, but then sometimes it just gets very confusing and. Yeah, there's, there's so many. I have to have I mean, files. And I'm like, listening to this, right? People would be listening to this, going, "Oh my god, how is your head coping with this?" I mean, do you, how do you switch off? Not that you need to switch off. I'm not saying everyone should. You get to the end of the day. Have you accomplished everything? Do you write a list? I always, I'm, I'm a list man. Do I'm you carry a pen and paper with you everywhere, or yes. electronic device? Yeah, no, I've list my pen and paper over there. I can see it. But what I do it's is a big pen. I give big everyone paper. a list. I make. But the good thing is, I make my own lists. So if I say to Julia, it's my fiance, I give her a list sometimes. She doesn't really like it. But I sometimes, <laughs> but just so you don't forget. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not telling her to do stuff. I'm just saying stuff we've, oh, don't forget you've got to ring them or do that or whatever. I make myself lists, which are longer than anyone else's lists. I give my FD a list. I give loads of people lists. 
But I think it's good. It's cathartic no, I, to write it down. You know what you've got, and you think, okay, that's on there. And then I. So when you get to the end of the night, mm. can you put your head in the pillow and just go to bed? No, I tell you what, because I what I've now do more recently is a little dictator machine by my side of my bed that I just make a note of something. If I've got to do something, I just put on my dictator machine, and then I've got to get out of bed, put the light on, do anything, uh, and I can just. I, and well, I you wish sometimes do that at two a.m. Yeah, no, no, really, in the middle of the night. I don't want to wake Julia up. So I make a note on my dictator machine really quietly. And then in the morning when I'm listening to her, I can't hear what I'm saying to myself. <laughs> oh, dear. OK, look, we're going to wrap this up, Mike. So just quickly, uh, this is everyone, including your friends, your family. How do you want them to know Mike Clare? How do, you know, let's say they're going to say Mike Clare is this or describe you. What is it? Oh, blimey. Um, it's probably a bit deep for. No, I, I just you know you'd like to, it's like what would you want on your tombstone, isn't it? I guess that's you know, I'm a fair. I, I'd like to think I'm a fair, happy, reasonable guy that's done a lot of different things and you know, popular. It's good dad. Good yeah. That you know I don't know normal stuff that I think anyone else would say. Well, you're definitely different to most people I've ever met. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Giles. Right, you've been listening to Bull by the Horns. This is Giles Jones. That was Mike Clare. We're sponsored by Shy Aviation. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.